0: Welcome to the CanMed Coffee Talk Podcast, where we talk with the leading minds in cannabis science, medicine, cultivation, and safety testing. I am your host, Ben Amaralt. I'm the marketing manager at Medicinal Genomics and proud member of the team that puts on the CanMed Conference. We are less than one week away from the CanMed 23 Innovation and Investment Summit, taking place at the Marriott Marco Island Beach Resort, May 15th, through 17th, It has taken a lot of work to get here and the team has done an amazing job bringing everything together, from the sponsors and exhibitors, to the speakers and panelists, and of course, the attendees and members of the media. CanMed 23 is going to be a collection of cannabis leaders from around the world. We have folks coming in from Australia, Poland, Israel, Morocco, South Africa, the Caribbean, just to name a few. And we are also going to be joined by representatives from some of the largest brands, including Cookies, Wana Brands, Advanced Nutrients, Cure Leaf, CuraLeaf, Steep Hill, and more. Check out CanMedEvents.com to learn all about the events we have planned for CanMed 23 and learn more about the individuals and organizations that are participating. If you are planning to join us, I can't wait to see you on Marco Island. My guest today is Dr. Jeff Rawson. In 2022, Dr. Jeff Rawson founded the Institute of Cannabis Science, a nonprofit organization that produces honest data about weed. The mission of ICS is to conduct cannabis research that educates consumers, guide regulators to adopt testing regulations that are based on science and ensure that products are safe for patients and consumers. At CanMed 23, Dr. Rawson will participate in a panel discussion about the challenges with regulating the cannabis industry as part of the CanMed Laboratory Compliance Testing Workshop. During our conversation, we discuss what the Institute of Cannabis Science is and what they do, how the average THC percentage in Massachusetts flower increased from 2019 to 2022, and what that could be a sign of, how the information presented to consumers on dispensary websites is limited and vague, the challenge of collecting and analyzing cannabis testing data, and how providing more information on cannabis labels leads to healthier consumers. Before we get to my conversation with Jeff, I'd like to thank this episode sponsor and the sponsor of the CanMed Coffee Talk Lounge, which will be live on-site at cammed 23, Brains Bioceutical. Brains Bioceutical is a global leader in EU GMP-certified production of naturally-sourced active pharmacological ingredients for the pharmaceutical and nutraceutical industries. With a unique set of licenses, Brains Bioceutical is one of the only natural plant-based phytochemical API manufacturers in commercial production today, and is involved in academic and clinical trials across the globe. Brains Bioceutical is also a leader in evidence-based phytocannabinoid health solutions to enhance life and treatment options for all. Learn more about Brains Bioceutical at brainsbiasutical.com. Okay, and without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Jeff Rawson. good morning jeff thanks for joining us on the podcast good morning ben thanks for having me yeah i am happy to have you here and happy to have you be part of canmed 23 as part of our lab compliance workshop which we'll talk about a little bit later but i do want to talk with you about the work that you're doing with the institute of cannabis science to analyze cannabis testing data and make it public so that consumers and regulators and the general public Get a real look at what's going on in the industry so let's start there tell everyone about the institute of cannabis science what you guys do and why you feel it's so important well, well
1: i thanks for having me and um yeah thanks for that question i founded the institute of cannabis science because i want consumers to have honest data about weed um i think that the the moves um, towards legalization and normalization of cannabis are mostly good things in society, but they bring about a lot of changes in our public health. And um, so um, that, that's why we need organizations like research nonprofits that can do research that's focused on the consumer angle um, and gives people the information that they need to make the healthiest choices they can.
0: Excellent. And so what data are you really looking at from, from these labs? Is it all about potency? Is it uh, pesticides, microbials? What is your focus?
1: Well, I'm interested in any kinds of data or information that matters to consumers. Um, and I think everything you just named does matter. Um, so uh, I, 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 I got interested in the question of labeling of cannabis products um when i was doing unrelated research or maybe maybe uh, tangentially related research you know i wanted to understand the outcomes of different methods of vaporization and smoking um but i realized that i didn't know enough about the starting material so um, which is like the raw cannabis or the products themselves because that information is actually not super available for a researcher um it's hard for me to get accurate information about products actually sold in dispensaries. So what we do is we test products off the shelves, which gives you an actual reading of the real consumer experience at the consumer level. And that's different than compliance testing. Um, And uh, the other thing that we do is we analyze aggregated data sets that come from the testing of cannabis. And when we do that, we can see we can see differences in the procedures of different labs, and in some cases we can even see evidence of um, suspicious behavior.
0: Excellent. yeah now I was looking at your website before um, before we we got together here today and I saw a case study um, looking at the difference between THC numbers in Massachusetts uh, 2019 compared to 2022 and seeing the the shift. Of the potency numbers um get much higher um speak a bit about that and you know what that potentially means
1: yeah that's 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 interesting right and if you if you when 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 you look at a plot um uh you know like you're referring to where um we see that you know a few years ago the average potency or the average level of say like max thc um reported by labs was around like 19 or 20 percent, um, and then just a few years later, it's gotten up to 22 or almost 23. Um, you know, definitely uh, some part of that change uh, could be selection, right? That maybe um, uh, you know, maybe cultivation practices are improving. Maybe they're favoring high THC cultivars uh, in their production. Um, you know, sure, there could be some explanations like that. But uh, in fact, when we examine other sources of data over that same time period that are not biased. Um, so, say, in internal data sets of single labs um, and other large data sets that have been aggregated from a couple of instrument companies. Uh, we don't see such a large magnitude of shift in the average THC. So I I believe that one part of that curve rising up as you see it is coming from increasing activity of kind of inflated THC numbers. I think that that's actually part of what's making that rise, but not all of it.
0: Right. And in your write-up too, you were talking about um, a trick that dispensaries use to pump up their THC numbers. Uh, Speak a bit about that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I think that one of the challenges is actually just like, they're very simple communication challenges in here because, um, when I, if I have a, um, if I have cannabis flower, um, like buds for smoking, then the THC that's present there is, is not THC. It's actually a precursor molecule called THCA for acid. And, When the cannabis is smoked, it actually does a reaction that makes THC. So there's a challenge in reporting this information to the consumer efficiently and clearly. And that's like part of the problem is actually that um, when I look at a website um, of a dispensary and I'm looking at their flower products, typically what I will see is a price a strain name, a cultivator, and then THC percent. Right? But it it th- that, that and and that piece of information that's that's not clear enough. It's too vague. So what what consumers need is to be clearly told wh- what that is. Is that the level of THCA? Is that some derived value like max THC? Um, it's a problem of clear definitions and clear communication.
0: Yes, absolutely. And in one of the previous episodes of this podcast, I talked with Marcus Rogan, who Mm -hmm. um, has written about this whole idea of uh, how we report THC is sort of broken. And the whole idea of sort of reporting THC as a percentage on flour is sort of, it's not entirely intuitive to the consumer, right? If you're if you're smoking one joint of, you know, 25% THC, how many milligrams of THC am I actually getting? Um, so that's another kind of compounding problem on top of that.
1: Yeah. Right. That the, yeah, there are also, um, yeah, it's, it's not straightforward. Right. What the connection is between the exact concentration of THC in whatever flour and, um, and in and, th- and then what my smoking experience is, right? because um, it, yeah, uh, uh, both yeah, two, I mean b- both other contents of the flour actually matter a lot mm-hmm. um, for the overall experience. Um, and yes, the dosing is not straightforward. Um, but uh, at the same time, um, the concentration of THC, in the flower, you know, as a percent by mass is almost the only way I can think of to kind of quantify it. So, um, and it does seem to me have some meaning to consumers, but I agree that this, the, 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 you know, just like I said before, the information presented to the consumers on websites is very limited and vague.
0: Yeah, that is
1: itself a big part of the problem, actually.
0: Right. No, and... It's interesting you say that the percentage is the only way that you can you can think about it. I, you should definitely talk with Marcus uh, at CanMed because uh, he has some ideas, not all that I entirely understand. Yeah. But you guys, both as chemists, I'm sure, could have a great conversation. Yeah, uh,
1: I, I, I'm sure I will have a good conversation. With him. There's a couple of things I actually really disagree with him about, but um, oh. <laughs> that's <laughs> but, always. <laughs> uh, I think. Oh, oh, but I, I think he's. I mean, he's definitely right that the way that the information is presented is not clear. And um, and 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 that these quantities have not been well enough defined.
0: Absolutely. Hey, that's okay. We can we can always disagree. That's that's what drives mm-hmm. science forward. So before you had mentioned that um, sort of you were looking at the different data sources, and I kind of wrote down a note. I was curious: where are you getting this data? Is it publicly available, or how hard is it to kind of get together?
1: Wow. Yes. So these data are publicly available, but also yes, they are very hard to get together. Mm. Um, So technically um, these data are public records because uh, the primary source of data that I use to examine um, testing in cannabis markets is, uh, is state maintained databases. So the state contracts with one of a few companies, they build a database, and they use that database to record all the test results, all the sales, everything, and they call it seed to sale because it's supposedly tracking every plant all the way through the process to product. Um, so those data are out there, but there are there's the usual challenge of the the time, effort, and willingness of um, uh, of of state employees to retrieve the data, but um, there are additional challenges because these databases are also pretty new. They were hastily built, and um, in many cases, uh, in many cases, the state employees are not experts on the database themselves. So um, I, I've found that in some cases, I'm going back in Massachusetts. I still don't have a good data set. Um, I, it took me about, uh, after about six months of effort, I was able to obtain a data set that it turned out w- was flawed because of mm. a querying error. And I'm still trying to get that resolved. So, um, you know, so that part's really slow. But, you know, there are also some other, there are some interesting ways to track um, THC levels from, uh, from other sources of data that are, available. So there's a set, there's a data set that is a a combination of six pretty big labs, internal data. Um, and a couple of other individual labs have published like their own Mm. data sets of, of results. And what that does is those give you some kind of baseline, right. Of, uh, to, you know, to, to understand what are at least like the broader averages, um, across like significant geographical regions over a period of time,
0: over the same oh, of time. So the labs themselves will actually provide data or they, they make it public. Some have, mm-hmm. yeah,
1: some have, um, and also, uh, there are, there are a couple of instrument companies that make smaller portable, dedicated instruments for specifically for measuring cannabis. Um, and, uh, so they're, they're not as flexible as full, like benchtop scientific instruments, but they're portable and they're cheap. So um, those companies also have thousands and thousands of test results, Mm. which gives you like a good baseline for understanding what you should expect to see if you test a whole bunch of samples of cannabis flower. And so it is basically, you know, in, in simple terms, it's comparisons between those kinds of reference data sets where we know that they're not manipulated, we have reasonable confidence, (laughs) right? As we compare the features of those reference sets to different data sets that we get from seed to sale systems, we're often able to learn things about the practices of different labs.
0: And now you mentioned cannabis flowers specifically, is that where you're seeing kind of the most, I don't know, uh, variations?
1: Well, I don't think that cannabis flower is the only product that's important to examine. Um, but, uh, there is a reason I focused on it first. Um, one, it's still the most popular cannabis product in most States, I think maybe in every state. Um, and, uh, um, and it it is, it's a, it's an agricultural product. So it's inherently heterogeneous. Right, no two buds are the same. Right, a, a friend of mine who has a cannabis lab told used the analogy that they're like blueberries on a blueberry bush. Yep. Right. So, um, you know, so they cannabis flower presents particular challenges because of that, um, and uh, so that that's one reason to focus on it. Um, but I do think that there are, you know, there are there there are potential problems with other cannabis products, um, that you could have and that we should be looking for. Um, but I think that flower is kind of like the, since it's so popular and it presents a particular challenge for quality assurance, um, I think it's interesting place to focus.
0: Excellent. And now... So you've you've published some data and I know that I saw that you had also spoken to the Cannabis Commission here in Massachusetts as well. Um, what has sort of been the reaction from regulators or the public or, or really anyone, producers, everyone sort of um, involved in here? But what has been the reaction to your results?
1: Well, um, <laughs> the. Uh, I I have seen, I have seen reactions all the way from like, who cares? Nobody cares. This doesn't matter. Um, I have seen, I've I've heard everyone already knows this and has known this for a long time. Um, And I've also heard a lot of people say, wow, that is so amazing. I had no idea. (laughs) Um, And I've had plenty of people tell me that what I'm doing is, very important um, and uh, and and they care about it very much so um, you know I, I hear a lot of different responses from people I, I think most people are interested and curious and glad to know something more than they did um, when I talk to regulators I find that I you know uh, because I'm coming from a nonprofit I have this like really special perspective right I, I my perspective can be more aligned with the consumers than if I were like running a business and a stakeholder in the market. So I'm not competing with these businesses in the marketplace, and thus the regulators listen to me a little differently. And uh, a nonprofit can actually can can serve as sort of like a mediator or an ambassador in a way between regulators and testing companies, right? I mean, most of the testing lab companies are just a bunch of honest scientists trying to do a good job and, and like get paid for it. Right. And they, they, many of them got into this business because they're passionate about giving people safe cannabis products. That is what they want to do. They want to see this whole thing work. So those people need, you know, those testing labs, sometimes I find that they need a better channel of communication with their regulators. And um, being a nonprofit, I can be kind of unbiased.
0: Absolutely. No, and you brought up a good point where, you know, a lot of these these labs, they're good scientists trying to do good work. And it's, it's interesting when we talk to labs um, on our medicinal genomic side, um, you know, every lab that we talk to says, you know, we're doing it the right way. It's all the other labs in the state that aren't. Um, and it, it makes me wonder, is is this not an issue of, you know, you know, labs behaving poorly? Or is it more of an issue of there not being good enough standards or consistency from lab to lab?
1: Yeah, that, I think that's a great point to bring up. And um, definitely... Standards and clearer standard operating procedures could help. Um, definitely, ambiguities in standards or a lack of standards, um, a lack of clear standards, um, can give people loopholes to sneak through. Um, so, um, de- definitely, you know, Im- improvements, improvements in procedures and standards could be beneficial, but. There is also an element here of human behavior um, and uh, there there's a there's a powerful economic incentive that's coming all the way from consumer demand. Right. And it's really like a a series of dominoes. Right. The consumer has very limited information. They see a THC percentage. They don't know how much else to work with. Right. In some states, depending on the dispensaries and their their laws, right, they might see like a white label and literally only a price in THC. You know, like yeah. it's really very little. So that co- that puts an obvious demand for THC percentage on dispensaries, right? So then the dispensaries, when they're choosing which products to stock on their shelves, right, they go, they they transmit that demand to the cultivator, and then the cultivator is usually the customer of the testing lab. So they transmit that demand to the testing lab. So there is a pressure there that you will always struggle to contain if you don't directly address it. And part of that is consumer education, but a big part of that is accountability. Is you change the incentives if you measure the result at the end, measure at the retail level, and then report the results so it's scrutiny on this right if if it starts being you know imagine if people have a website that they can go to that tells them that um you know uh, like that their state market is is pretty reliable right and that on average the thc values are only inflated by a few percent or um Alternatively, they could have a website that would tell them something, you know, it gives them something like a grade, Hmm. right? That says, oh, you know, like actually in your state, the regulations are working terribly, right? I I wish people had information like that. That's the kind of information I want to bring people.
0: Yeah, and so... Would that be sort of on the the brand level, on the lab level to be like, hey, this this brand is typically more inflated or results from this lab is more inflated or on the state level where it's regulatory? How would you kind of envision that working?
1: Well, I think if you give I think if you give states a, a grade, it's very broad, um, but it's also really clear. Um I think that if, I tr- if you try to break things down, I mean, I, I think that very few consumers know which lab tested their cannabis. Right. So, um, you know, whatever information you give people, it has to be presented in a way that they can act on it. So um, right now, I think that, that we're at the stage of this where we need to get consumers interested and curious and educated. <clears throat> and so we probably have to give them a simple message that the system is, you know, that the system is not getting an F, right? But that the system is not getting an A yet. Yeah. And so that they know, so that consumers know that they need to apply pressure um, to their politicians so that we continue to see improvements. Because, um, you know, if there is no scrutiny and no energy, and no attention to this issue, then things will keep just going, um, and regulatory agencies will continue to bumble along, right? And they will gradually make imp- they will make incremental improvements, and they will very gradually make things better. But it will be really slow, and we it, and we might end up with a system that's more beneficial for big companies. But if there's a lot of involvement and energy and scrutiny then we can push regulatory agencies to make improvements quicker. We can get them to listen to stakeholders in the industry who actually know what to do. And, um, you know, we can try to get the best practices together and move it forward.
0: Yeah, you're right. The consumer education is a big part. So, so what is at stake here for the consumers? Why should they be sort of demanding better results here?
1: Well, I look at it from a really big picture perspective um, because I, I, I care about labels because I care about public health um and I I care about the success of the industry and the health of, and 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 moving forward I think that um any sort of uh any sort of legal weed is still a lot better than the system that we used to have. Um so um You know when for public health i I believe it's really a simple fact that informed consumers are healthier consumers um if consumers don't have good information uh about the contents of the products that they're selecting from they can't make the healthiest choices for themselves Mm. Um, they're they're simply disempowered so um you know a, a marketplace where consumers have bad information is fundamentally disempowering and unhealthy for them All right. I think that's just a principle. Um, and, um, you know, for the health of the market labels are also really important because, uh, one of the big promises of establishing regulated markets was that we could, we could move cannabis forward and we can make cannabis a product where you can, you can buy it and you can actually know what's in it, right? Buying cannabis used to be a lot more risky. Um, and and that, that's like the, you know, that, that, that's the promise of legalization, but we have to live up to it now. Right. Um, and providing like providing accurately labeled products is simply it is a gateway to normalization that has to be passed. Mm. All right. Cannabis will not be normalized in this society if people think of it as something where you go to this other store and all the labels are made up and all the safety testing is bunk, right? Then you really haven't moved forward very much at all, right? And pe- and people will accept cannabis as just another product, right? And you'll be able to sell your pre-rolls next to cigarettes if you get the labels right and you prove to people that you can do this, that you can have a safe, regulated market.
0: Yeah, and I love this idea of more information is safer for consumers and it kind of ties back to what we were talking about before where you go to the dispensary website and you see the name of the strain the price and the thc value Mm -hmm. and it would be a lot maybe safer and it certainly would be a better uh, experience for the consumer if we saw more of the other cannabinoids and terpenes and things uh that were that were in that product so would you agree that maybe mandating or at least, you know, making a push that to provide that sort of information too would be beneficial for the consumers.
1: Yeah, you know, some of it, right? Like, I I can't maybe tell you precisely how, um, if the guy down the street knows how much pinene there is in his weed, then like he's going to have a better life. Okay, sure. I can't explain molecule by molecule, but it is a fundamental principle that information is power in markets, all right? And information empowers consumers. So absolutely, that is why there are labels on your cereal box. It's not because you're gonna read the label every time, it's because you deserve to know, Mm. all right? And that is why every COA for cannabis products should be available to the consumer and they should be able to know which lab tested it. And they should be able to know everything that was tested and they should be able to know that those tests were really done. All right. So if you look at two of the marketplaces, which in the last 20 or 30 years have most gone out of control, right? They're healthcare and college education, right? And they're two marketplaces where consumer information is especially bad. That's why they're out of control. All right. And when you look at markets that function well, the information is clear and transparent and available. So um, I think it's a fundamental principle, actually.
0: Yeah. And you're right. You know, an individual terpene might not make all the difference in the world. But like we were saying before, it would decrease the value of that THC number, right? There's other things here that other consumers might be interested in. And it would take some of that pressure of hey, I need a high THC number in order for this to be a valuable product.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that. You know, uh, by the same token, um, you know, I've, I think I've told you, I've, I've visited all kinds of different <laughs> retail establishments. And, you know, some some places it's really, it's re- it, at some retail establishments, it's really just like buying from a website, mm-hmm. right? Um yep that's also not stimulating the consumer very much. Um, And uh, you know, but I've been other places where um, you know, the the, there's a little, there's first of all, you know, there there are some places where there's a little more cannabis culture evident, right? Maybe they're selling seeds if that's allowed in their state. Um, They've got notebooks, right? There's um, there's someone who seems like they actually know about the products talking to me. And Sometimes I can even smell a bud, right? Or get like a, you know, some other stimulation, some other information. And I think that's also going to help people. The more that that shopping experience is just like a website, the more you're going to do it just like Amazon, right? And you're going to choose the cheapest thing based on some number, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right. So winding down here, Jeff, um, I was hoping that you could share... um, any information about the Institute or uh, any links to any resources that you think would be helpful for folks who want to dig into this topic more?
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah. So you can check us out at, at cansci.org. That's C A N N S C I.org. Um, we have a nice little website there that uh, is getting more information added to it, I think maybe just this week. Um, oh, And, um, uh, there are definitely other people, um, who are, you know, doing important work. Um, one thing that you can check out, I'll send you the link if you want, it's eye on cannabis. Um, it's a, um, it's a great website put together by Jamie Toth in Oregon. And, um, she's an independent journalist who's been digging into this, um, subject for some time. So she has some really great long pieces and a little bit of independent research herself. Um so those are a cu- couple places I would look. Um and then um the the other thing you can do if you if you if you care about this issue and you want honest data about weed, uh you can donate to the institute. And uh you can um push your state regulators to um to support <clears throat> quality assurance at the consumer level, which means shelf testing and aggregate data analysis.
0: Excellent. No, and I did, I know I said I was going to let you go, but now that just brought up something that I remember I wanted to ask you um, about the shelf testing, right? So do you account for the fact that there might be just some, you know, degradation of the product while it's on the shelf?
1: Definitely. Definitely. And so, um, uh, um, but I, I would say that so far, um, the, the, the degradation of cannabinoid compounds is, um, it's a chemically known process. Mm. Um, so, um, uh, in any sample that I have tested off the shelf, it's never been old enough to show any kind of severe degradation. Um, but. Since, since I'm looking at the levels of both the, the carboxylated acid compounds, but also the decarboxylated compounds, um, even short-term aging, it shouldn't be, it, it sh- shouldn't be an issue. Um, in short-term aging, maybe a little bit of THCA converts to THC, but if the quantity that I'm looking at is max THC, then I've kind of accounted for that already.
0: Right. Okay. That makes sense.
1: So definitely I have to look at, I have to look at everything very skeptically because yeah, you know, the, the COA is reporting to me a test that was done as a compliance test at the batch level. All right. So what I'm looking at now when I do this shelf testing, it is different. It, you know, that is a different experiment and I would really hesitate I would caution people against using a single test like that for some kind of enforcement purpose.
0: Mm.
1: All right. Because, because when I, when I observe a discrepancy in an individual product from its label and my test, I don't know why, right? For any individual one result, there, there are multiple potential explanations. So, it's usually only in aggregate data when you see trends mm. that indicate trends that really indicate behavior, right? Otherwise it's just, you know, it's one result, it's
0: unlucky. Right. Cuz like we were saying before that, you know, each bud is different, each blueberry is different. So it could Yeah, yeah, right.
1: Bud. And even a even a great cultivator might maybe one time they screw up and make a bad package, you know? And if you're not testing enough packages, then you don't know whether you've observed something that's representative or not. So you have to be really careful with
0: how you use results like this. All right. Excellent. All right, Jeff, thanks again for the time today. And I look forward to seeing you down in Marco Island for CAMED. I'm
1: looking forward to it also, Ben. Thanks so much, man.
0: I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Jeff Rawson. Check out the links in the show description to learn more about the topics we discussed. And thanks again to this episode sponsor, Brains Bioceutical. Our next episode drops May 24th, that's two weeks from today. In the meantime, don't forget to check out the CanMed 23 schedule at CanMedEvents.com. I think you will find that not only does our lineup include some of the biggest names in the industry but they are also addressing some of the most important topics, such as latent viroid and other plant pathogens, the efficacy of minor cannabinoids and compounds, Delta-8 THC, lab shopping, and more. You don't want to miss out on this opportunity to learn from and network with the leading minds in the industry at a world-class resort. It's going to be an amazing event, and I hope to see you there. But of course, if you can't join us, we hope that you'll continue to listen to the podcast, follow us on social media, and check out our CanMed archive at CanMedEvents.com. All right, that's it from us. Stay safe, stay healthy, and please do come back for the next CanMed Coffee Talk.